And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, here we go. Welcome, everyone. We are live from the bunker, broadcasting live from deep beneath world headquarters here in Kansas City from Studio A. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. Welcome, everyone. We are broadcasting live to Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube, at least for as long as the signal lasts. I don't know. Odyssey was having some trouble this morning. And uh, YouTube is being persnickety about certain channels that are that are covering certain legal proceedings. And for the record, we are not. So leave us alone, Susan, please. <laughs> so, uh, I do want to uh, thank everybody who has been listening to us, uh, listening to this show as a podcast. I'm seeing triple digits on our downloads, which is a, a nice thing to see. Some growth there. So thank you for that. If you do prefer to listen to this or any of our shows as podcasts, uh, this show and the H2O podcast are both available audio only. And we do have a newsletter, the live broadcast here. We've got a chat widget. You've got comments open. If you want to send us feedback through email, it's live from the bunker at sci-fi-for-me.com. I think that's everything. So we get all of our business out of the way. And tonight on H2O, we are going to be talking about all of the stuff that was announced during Disney Plus Day. And uh, on that note, very quickly, this news breaking, I want to just put this out there for people's, uh, for people's consumption and edification. The Direct is reporting that they're seeing word, and this is actually coming from uh, Matthew Baloney, who is uh, now over on Puck.com, used to be a contributor over at uh, Believe Hollywood, Hollywood Reporter, but... Matthew Bellani is saying that he's hearing word that Kathleen Kennedy's contract has been extended another three years at Lucasfilm. So we're keeping an eye on it. We're keeping an eye on it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You hear Mrs. Boss over there in the background. She is responsible for maintaining our conventions list over at SciFiForMe.com where you will find a Google calendar with all of the events that we know about, as well as an alphabetical list of all of the events we know about. The count currently sitting at 2,280. And among those, Florida Supercon, which is the subject of a new documentary uh, from Abysmal Entertainment, Surviving Supercon, which goes behind the scenes with the organizers and shows you just what it takes to uh, to put together a convention. And joining us now, uh, the director and producer of that documentary, Stephen Shea. Welcome, sir. Hi, thanks, Jason. Glad to have you. Uh, now, having been on the periphery of Planet Comic Con here in Kansas City for a few years, uh, my, first, my first thought is that this is quite an undertaking to make a documentary like this. We had discussed it at one point doing it here and and just going through my head all of the logistics that would be involved 
I said to myself, self, you don't want to do this. So we, you have taken on, uh, you have taken on this venture and I, I give you my, I give you my salute and props, sir. I, this, how much of an undertaking did this end up being compared to your expectations going into it? Let's start there. Sure. Um, well, yes, it was definitely uh, exciting to be able to, to pull it off. But I think it's interesting from a movie standpoint. This is my first documentary. I've done multiple feature films and series and things. But it was a very short shoot. So it was actually a lot easier to make shooting-wise than a normal movie because it was a four-day event. And we shot a total, the entire documentary was shot in a total of seven days because basically we had four camera teams at the show. Each camera team was assigned to a different person that was running the convention. And then we just ran around all four days following each person around. And then we did three additional days of interviews. We had about 16 hours of interviews interviewing everyone involved and, wow. and around kind of the outside of the convention to showcase the story a little bit more. But I mean, the whole thing was shot in only seven days and then edited in about three months. So you, so, you concentrated specifically just on the event itself because yes. one of the things that we had talked about was figuring out the logistics of attending a lot of the committee meetings and the planning sessions and the stuff going into it. Because that's, you know, throughout the year, as soon as as soon as one event is done and in mm -hmm. the books and it's finished, you take maybe a week, a couple of weeks off, and then you're diving into the next one that happens next year. So you guys didn't follow any of that then. Well, what what I did was I was focusing more on the owners because it's a husband and wife team. So in the movie, we kind of showcase them. We show their upbringing, how they got to where they they are now. Um, him going from a little kid that loved comic books to eventually owning a comic shop to eventually owning a big enough collection to start financing to get the money for the convention off the ground. Um, but it wasn't, as far as all of that, we touch on all of it, but we don't necessarily show meetings happening 10 months in advance. We right. just explain that these are what happens because we focus more so on the actual show. Uh, on the four-day event. And I mean, just, just that alone, we had hours and hours <laughs> worth of content. So, so many, so many fires to put out. And I mean, I, I joke around, I, I could have made an entire movie just on the parking debacles <laughs> at the convention itself. So oh, believe there was plenty I, of story there. I am, I am well familiar with that because uh, here in Kansas City, one of the things that a lot of people get concerned about is the parking downtown. And what year was it that we were that Planet was on the same weekend as the basketball tournament? Was that 2015, 16, somewhere back there? So you had you had Planet Comic Con going on on one side of the of the city, and then mid midway through uh, uh, downtown, not I mean maybe just blocks away, you've got the NCAA tournament. And oh, nice. so all of that happening in the same weekend, I was like, okay, where do we park? Where, where can we put our right. car? That's not going to be 12 miles away. So yeah, I, right. uh, the stories, the stories I know are probably numerous. Are there any that you didn't end up including? So, because you look at it and say, oh, that's a really great story. There's no way to put it in. Um, most of the stories we didn't include just weren't as visually exciting. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things like parking. There's so many different parking stories to tell, but 
it kind of gets boring after you hear a couple of them. You know, uh, there was a few instances we, we had to make friends with the police department very quickly. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, with security and everything. And so we had a mutual understanding that we were allowed to shoot certain things. We were not allowed to shoot other things. Uh, example, arrests. If someone's getting arrested, which happened multiple times during the weekend. Oh, wow. If someone gets arrested, we're not allowed to film the arrest because then our, our footage and our equipment becomes evidence. So there's things like that that happened that we didn't capture on film and that didn't have enough footage to really build a, a good enough story around it. Right. But really, that happened maybe once or twice over the weekend that there was something that could have been cool, but it didn't. We didn't have a way of showing it legally, I guess, yeah. I guess you could say, one, that they would let us. Yeah. One of the things that we run into uh with our live broadcast because we we had done a, a number of them out there you know we're on the floor we're broadcasting we're here live and there were times we got told there are certain directions you cannot point your cameras and it was generally toward the celebrities and uh that also popped in when we were talking about broadcasting panels because then you get into well, appearance rights, and now we're going to have to pay mm -hmm. extra to get the permissions and all this other stuff. I'm like, okay, well, we won't do 90% of what we plan to do. You know, it's one of those things where it really right. does it does impact what you're able to show people uh, in terms of documenting the event. Because uh, the way I look yep. at it, documentaries and uh, journalism, news reporting, because the, you know, the local TV stations come into the event. All of that, to me, is a form of journalism that it's it's not necessarily something where we're deriving financial gain. It's, you know, this we're reporting on the events as they transpire. And if our camera, right. you know, if our camera goes over there and happens to get a, you know, get Nathan Fillion in the background. OK, well, that's just the way it works. But, you know, you do yeah. you do learn how to work within the guidelines and with the thing. Were there any rules that really caught you up short and you thought that's a bridge too far? Um, no, I think, like I was saying, with the police department, we only we had an issue on the first day where we eventually had to come to an understanding because they everyone knew that we were making a documentary over the weekend. Like everyone was alerted. Um but one of our camera operators got into kind of a tussle with the police department where the police department's like, you're not allowed to film this. And we're like, well, technically we are. Yeah. And that just kind of had to come to a decision, uh, to a mutual understanding, which was fine, which ended up being fine. Um, I think that officer was also just having kind of a bad day. And I mean, it's a very overwhelming event. It's a, cause that Supercon was 60,000 people. Mm. Um, now, which one did you shoot at? Were you at 20, 2019, 2018, 2018. 2018. Okay. All right. Now, and the movie definitely is focused on that specific weekend because right. there's other things happening in the country and in the world that same weekend that also impacts how the convention was handled. So gotcha. it's a moment in time movie for sure. Yeah. Well, and and especially given how things have evolved over the last couple of years with regard to in-person live events now, uh, it, it's not, not just... A time capsule of 2018 it's also kind of a here's the way it was and right. you know it's it's like pre pre-covid post-covid you know 
the way things were, you know, and yeah, the, the exactly. ti- in the time before. And so it, I guess yeah. that adds another layer to this that you hadn't planned on. But do, do you get any sense of additional the word that I'm looking for, not necessarily context, but are there other story layers that sort of end up being there just by by nature of the fact that this was in 2018 and it's not in 2020? Right. And I mean, we, yes. And I think we did, when we did the festival circuit in 2020, technically, because we had set up to do the film festival circuit and quite a few of the reviewers were like, this is going to be the only convention you can experience this year because there are no conventions happening. Now, Today we're back to some in-person events and things, yeah. but at that during that year there wasn't anything, um, at least not much happening in person. So it definitely kind of added an element to it as well, for sure. Well, and we're seeing now because we've we've been reporting since March of 2020 when all of this started. Uh, we've been reporting as events get rescheduled, events get canceled, at, at all of these different things. Mm-hmm. And now there's the new layer as events come back. What's your vaccination policy? What's your mask policy? What's your, what, right. what are your COVID guidelines that you're adhering to? And it's such a jumbled mis- mishmash. Right. You know, you're, you've got two events in the same state and they're doing two completely different things. It's, it's hard to keep track sometimes. So yep. it's, it's going to be interesting for me to see how events move forward uh, and could be possibly the subject of another documentary type of project where you're looking at the impact of these events in the world sure. on these comic cons, maybe even go back to Florida Supercon and do a follow-up and say, okay, well, what is it like now? Right. And even the celebrities too. I know individual celebrities have their own individual mandates. Some have plexiglass shields, some wear masks, some don't have anything. Yeah. So even then that changes too, depending on how your celebrity interaction experience is. Well, and given that Supercon is in Florida, you have that whole layer there too. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like there, there are there are no rules in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what kind of what kind of logistical challenges was there? Because, you know, you've got Mike Broder, you got Sandy Martin, and you know, like you mm-hmm. said, their husband and wife were they're the organizers. Did you approach them or did they approach you? Who had the idea to do this in the first place? They approached me. Um, I had known them for many years. I'd attended Supercon. So we were old friends there. It actually kind of came out of, I think, they made a Hollywood Supercon movie that starred John Malkovich and had a bunch of big actors in it. And that had come out uh, a couple of years prior. And I think the Broders weren't too happy with the way the movie turned out and so they wanted to showcase their convention more from their side of it um which the movie's not about them at all it just kind of took the name supercon and the idea of the convention and and kind of characterized it but but with this movie there's also they also had a feeling this was going to be their last florida supercon so they wanted to kind of document that i don't think that they really thought it was going to turn into as much of a movie as it did I think it was going to be more so, oh, we're going to have a few, you know, things happen. But the story all came together and there were so many, so many different stories to tell. And I mean, the hardest thing for us was running around for 20 hours a day, you know, carrying cameras and, <laughs> and trying to keep up because you're running around a massive convention center and yeah. you're 
walking miles and miles every day. And so it's just the exhaustion by the end of it was, uh, that was a challenge. But, but again, like I said, it was such a short shoot. We were only shooting four day events. So you kind of went all out and then you got to rest for a while. <laughs> so I'm picturing in my head, the camera crew running after Mike and Sandy in a golf cart. Oh, get the shot, well, get I, the shot, get the shot. Because here, wish, here in I Planet, there, golf cart. I know, right? There, there, there were a few at Planet, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Well, where's, where's Chris? Where's, where's Kurt?" You know, oh, there they go. You know, and it's just uh, this fleeting glimpse of thing because they're they're constantly going back and forth, answering questions and putting out fires and dealing yep. with issues and that kind of thing. Chaotic yep. shoot. I mean, was it reasonably easy to to? stay organized through the whole thing or i feel what made it real easy for us was we we ended up using these zoom f1 microphones which were these little wireless lavalier mics that will run for 12 hours straight on one battery so we would mic sandy and mike and josh and then they would have a microphone running the entire day so then whatever whenever something happened we would be able to catch it with video but we wouldn't have to stop and reset every single time we needed to to catch I mean, we could literally just hang out until something went bad and having four separate teams made it nice because when something major was happening it was like oh the fire alarm's going off quick somebody run over here somebody run over here yeah this is happening on this side of the convention and the convention themselves like they have their own network of communication with walkie-talkies and, and cell phones and whatnot so we all kind of knew when something was happening i mean I, there, I know there was a couple things we didn't catch i mean someone got hit by a car Ooh. We didn't happen to be there when that happened, though we were sitting next to someone when they got hit by a piece of plate glass window that fell three stories on them. Ouch. Out nowhere. Uh, we did end up catching that, but we we were lucky to be in so many places at once as we could. Yeah. But but most of the the action was easier to follow because there weren't too many times where there would be like 10 different major problems happening at once, or we would just focus on the biggest one and and yeah, I'm sure we missed some things, but there was there was plenty, definitely plenty of things going wrong for for a good story to tell. Yeah, well, and and it's usually the way it is, right? You don't you don't mm-hmm. tell the happy stories. You tell all of the disasters, and this is this is everything right. that they were inundated with, all of these problems they had to deal with, and and toward the end, whether they triumph or not, it's you know it's that kind of a story. But yep. now you mentioned staying in touch with with everybody. Were you guys on walkie talkies or, or just relying on cell phone? Because I know a lot of times you get into these these event spaces mm-hmm. and the cell service just kind of drops into the into the basement sometimes because so many people are on Wi-Fi and, and networks and that kind of thing. Did you have right. did you have any problems coordinating your crews at all? Um, we didn't, we use cell phones. We didn't use walkies though. I used ear, we had earpieces, mm. um, little wireless earpieces, little Bluetooth ones that we used. So it, it only happened a few times a day where somebody would be like, Hey, this thing's happening. Get over here. Because we kind of knew the main layout of the convention. We broke down the schedule and following those three around, we, we were always in the action because that's where they would always go to. Right. If something was going wrong. Then you'd follow them. So it, um, it really wasn't a problem. And then we ended up, there's some events that we covered with four cameras, which is great because you can see all different angles of the one incident going on. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, we, we stuck to cell phones and Bluetooth earpieces. Now, when, when you guys were first planning all of this, 
you're sitting down with Mike and Sandy and you say, okay, well, this, this is the kind of thing that we're going to do. Where, what, kind, what were those conversations like? Because something this big, you know, you're talking 60, 80,000 people. There are so many different events. There's lots of panels. There's all, these, all, mm-hmm. all of these things going on. How did you narrow down your focus to specific things in the plan? This is what the documentary is going to be about. You know, mm-hmm. we we get all of this other stuff. It's not it's not part of the the main spine of the story. So how did all of that come about? I mean, I think our initially the way I figured it would work the best is to focus on them, is to just focus on the convention owners and the head of operations because we knew it'd be impossible to cover every single element of the convention. And mm-hmm. we also got brought into it pretty late. And I, I live in Los Angeles, so I flew in, I think three days before the show and then had a Florida crew come and meet me there the day before the show. So it really was very, very minimal, the plan, um, which I'm not a documentarian. So to me, it was kind of a trial by fire as well, but I was just trying to figure out what best story to tell and as you're going through the convention, it's like, oh, here's a storyline. You make a note. And it's like, oh, this happened. Okay, this is a scene. You know, make yeah. a note. And what we did was we recorded everyone on the staff's interviews before the show, except for Mike, the main owner. And so then we did the show. And then after the show, we did like a four-hour interview with him so he could walk us through everything that we needed to be walked through. Gotcha. And that made it a lot easier because we didn't. I mean, as far as like reality wise, we didn't set up anything. We were totally fly on the wall. We were just capturing. We didn't set up a scene. We, I mean, a lot of times, you know, a lot of reality shows oh, yeah. are scripted. And so this definitely, there's no scripting whatsoever. You're literally like, I got a call from Mike at one point. He's like, come meet me at the back gate. Then I run back there and he's like, get in the car. And we jump in his car because he found out there's a, someone scalping tickets and he can't get through the building fast enough. So he drove around the building in his car mm. like a madman, like running through security fences, <laughs> like almost hitting people to get to this kid that um, I think was out there. There's part of that. That footage is in the trailer. Yeah. And that's yeah. OK. So now I have context for that. I'm like, what what's yeah. going on here? It's a crazy it's like a great it's a grand theft broder scene is what we kept calling. It. Yeah. So now having having worked on reality shows myself, I'm very I'm I'm familiar with what you're saying where it it gets scripted, it gets crafted. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of times somebody will say something and oh that's good. Say it again and they move the cameras around and do the, those kind of things. And when the sci-fi channel did Heroes of Cosplay for example, they went through and they they shot footage at I believe ten different Comic Con events. Planet Comic Con was one of them, and the storyline that was presented in that series of episodes was painted Yahya Han as the villain of the piece, and oh, yeah. there were a number of complaints from a lot of the participants, people who signed on to have the camera crews follow them around, basically saying. This is not actually what happened. And we know that reality right. shows have a tendency to craft toward a drama storyline type yep. of thing. From what it sounds like you're saying, it, it doesn't sound like you were tempted to do that. How, how, no, do, you, how do you avoid that? How do you avoid getting into that rabbit hole and said, 
oh, here's the beginning of this arc, and there's tension here, and there's tension, and then suddenly you find yourself, you know, three quarters of the way through, and you've built this whole, you know, good versus evil, here's the villain of the piece right. story. How do you avoid that? I mean, it, at least for us, we were lucky that there was enough happening and enough drama that was just built through the show that we didn't have to craft anything. I think if we went a whole day and only had two fires to put out, then maybe it would have been like, all right, we need to figure something out. But right. it's it's it was so exhausting and suffocating because it's just nonstop. I mean, when you watch the movie, they, the, the convention, we start at the convention and it's still like 15 minutes till the doors even open. There's just so many problems happening oh, <laughs> before sure. the doors even open. So it's there's there was plenty of situations to to pull from um and some are more dramatic than others some are funnier than others some are extremely sad and you know we've had a lot of people tear up in the audience during some of the scenes um you know the convention happened very close to where the parkland massacre was and so that mm. drastically affected the convention as well sure for, between security and and kids coming from parkland so we didn't have to craft anything like I, I i have easily an hour of other deleted footage that we either just wasn't exciting enough or just wasn't right space for um so i didn't have that problem at all because there was so much going on and you're also trying to you want to cater to both sides of the audience you want people that go to comic cons to appreciate it and you want people that have never been to a comic con to understand what's going on and, and really why right. it's important why comic cons are important that was a big focus for sure so as you're going through all of this, uh, and you're and you're you're crafting the story, and you're you're trying to strike that balance between people who know all of the inside baseball stuff and the people who are not familiar, how much of a challenge was it to strike that balance? Because you've got, like you said, you've got all of this footage, and now you have to not only present the story as accurately as you can. But also do it in a way that normal people, quote unquote, right. would understand what's going on. Because there's a lot of this stuff, Artist Alley and, and, and you know, vendors, the vendor floor and all these, you know, terms and things that people are saying and all of this esoteric stuff. How do you make sense of it all? You know, we, hopefully we did. I guess that's, that's kind of the hope. And, and I put the movie together and then we showed us people, we showed some people who had been to a Comic-Con and who hadn't been to a Comic-Con. We definitely try to explain what at least Supercon is and the specifics that make it special and different. And we talk about the history of Comic-Cons, you know, going back to the 30s to today. So we kind of give a little bit of a history of, of the convention world. Um, so I feel like by the end, we had shown it to enough people and kind of like, do you understand what's going on? Do you understand what the Comic-Con is? And, and yes, the responses were always yes. So I felt pretty confident that it would be a good, a good balance between the two. And we haven't had any real issues. I think one of the things that some, at least some people have had issues with is that our focus is strictly the behind the scenes of what these convention owners are going through. Right. We don't go and interview a bunch of fans we don't focus on like other people's experiences. It's really a very specific story following what they're trying to do to pull off the convention. Cause I feel like there's plenty of other stories where it's like, and there's other, there is a San Diego Comic-Con documentary that follows it only from the fans perspective. So 
we want to do something kind of different and showcase a side that hasn't really been completely shown before. Mm. The documentary is Surviving Supercon, Stephen Shea, the filmmaker, and we're going to talk about response from audiences and and maybe touch on a little bit on that San Diego one right after this. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. I just can't imagine you reading racy adult material. But you know what? You know what? I have a, there's an author that I'm a big fan of, uh, and he writes a science fiction series, and he writes a fantasy series, and he writes a smutty series. And the smutty series is really entertaining. The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back live from the bunker, ladies and gentlemen. Good to have you all here. Jason Hunt, along with our guest, Stephen Shea, the filmmaker behind the documentary Surviving Supercon, which is uh, out and about. I think now it's is, uh, now available for, is it digital, DVD, Blu-ray? Where can people find this? Yep, yep, it's on streaming. It's able to be rented or purchased all over Amazon Prime, Vudu, um, Google, iTunes, YouTube, Vimeo, and then you can get the Blu-ray and DVD is also available too. So um, when you're putting all of this stuff together, mm-hmm. you have a fixed amount of time. Did you meet your... We, we, we want to tell this story in two hours, an hour and a half, mm-hmm. three hours. Did you have a fixed goal in mind or was this just... It's as long as it is long, however long it takes to tell the story. It's, I think you always want to try to hit like a 90 minute to, to two hour mark, especially with documentaries, usually a little bit tighter, a little bit shorter. Um, the first cut, I think, was a little under two hours. And we showed that to a few people and got feedback. And the feedback was always, you know, oh, this could be a little bit less. You know, there's too much of this. And so... So we, it's tightened to about 96 minutes now, which which seems like a good, it's a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am kind of flow. Right. Um, I'm not a big fan of slow burn movies myself. So <laughs> it's kind of like I wanted the action to constantly keep going. So you're constantly intrigued. And, and we've actually had a few people that have had really bad anxiety watching the movie. We had one reviewer that had to turn it off because he had an anxiety attack while watching it. We, we just had a, a, a Hollywood premiere here in Los Angeles this week. And one of our friends had to leave the theater because she got so, so anxious. She had to go step out for a few minutes to put herself together. So it's um. Now is that so just think, because of all of the tension of everything that's happening all at once, or or is it more the the pace, run 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 now now we've got to get everything done? No, it's 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 more the scenarios because there's definitely some things that happen that. It's fun watching it in the theater with people because some something goes really wrong. You just hear people gasp and whoa, you know, <laughs> which is always fun for me. Yeah, but it's uh, it's more so about the scenarios and and I think also now watching it after you know post COVID or in COVID, you you kind of rethink about how major events are. And so when you see something going wrong with security 
or safety at a major event, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was happening. Or now I have to be concerned about that in the future or, or things like that. Um, luckily, everything in the movie is, is handled and there isn't any, you know, major disasters like that. But I, I think people kind of think about it a little bit differently too. And seeing, seeing you know, 20,000 people in a pile unmasked is also unnerving at this point too. <laughs> so. Well, and, and your, your point of view on on this following the organizers uh like you said before you know san diego comic-con's got a, a thing out there that's you know interviews fans there are a number of smaller pieces fan-made pieces uh in indie indie creators on youtube and that sort of thing who will go through oh, and yeah. they'll do you know the cosplay videos or the you know the montages of of being an, at an event we we were down at Nashville Comic Con and here's what we saw and there's this long oh, yeah. you know this montage of things i don't know that i've heard of anyone before you taking this particular angle and following the organizers of the event all the way through. I mean, like I said, we talked about it, but the logistics of it was just such that we just were not even going to try. And you dove into this, and like you said, having this was your first documentary. So, Mm -hmm. you know, diving in with both feet, is this something that you would ever think about doing again as far as the documentary side of things, the Comic-Con side of things, you mm-hmm. you did it and you had your fill and thank you, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, sure, I would always be, I mean, I'm still a filmmaker and still working in the industry, so I'm always interested in doing more creative and interesting projects for sure. And I would actually gotten reached out by a couple other conventions that were interested in possibly putting together their story into a, a similar documentary too. And I, I think what makes ours luckily special is that i had complete access the owners were like nothing's off limits and as long as the lawyers approved it then it was (laughs) you know then it was fine (laughs) um and so we didn't have very many major issues like that because literally everything was was up for grabs and anything that happened that wasn't you know we didn't we either didn't film anyway yeah um I see Ma- so, Mazers in the chat saying, never heard of Supercon. Sounds like a convention event that might swallow me. Well, it, look up Florida Supercon. Mm-hmm. Now, the the name of the documentary, Surviving Supercon, uh, I don't know of that many events that use Supercon in their name. There are a lot of comic cons. There are a lot of mm-hmm. comic cons. There are a lot of comic cons, you know, depending on the spelling yep. or where, yep. the, where the hyphen is or, or not. And we had here a few, well, now what, three years ago? Something like that, when San Diego decided, well, we're the only Comic-Con and everybody else can just go pound sand. We're like, legally, can you do that, though? So, Supercon, did you ever get any explanation of where the name for this event came from? Is Is that in the documentary? It is, and uh, it actually came because Mike was a huge Superman fan. So this, and the 2018 show was the 12th year of the convention. It originally was started as a Superman convention. Okay. 12 years prior. So that's where that came from. But nobody really cared about the Superman show nearly <laughs> nearly as much as everything else. So it eventually right. kind of, it outgrew the Superman element, but just kept the name. 
uh, Supercon. There's a lot of people when you talk about the expansion of an event, uh, because San Diego Comic-Con started the same way. It was a mm -hmm. small event in a hotel ballroom. It focused a lot on comic books and grew into this huge gargantuan thing now where it's more about the Hollywood studios, the movies and the TVs. Comic books yeah. kind of seem to have fallen by the wayside with a lot of these. I mean, because you have the celebrities. And now, right. now for whatever reason, wrestling seems to be a big thing now at these comic cons. I'm thinking, how is yeah. that? Where... I mean, if it's aliens yeah. wrestling, okay, but, you know, it's just wrestling. Why are they here? But you get this expansion into things that seem to dilute the primary focus of the event, which is comics or science fiction, fantasy, or, or horror. Mm -hmm. Did did Florida Supercon surprise you in any way? I mean, you're coming in from Los Angeles. You don't have... Or maybe you do have preconceived notions about what it, what it is that you're about to walk into. What were you right. expecting and what did you get compared to those expectations when you got there? For sure. Um, and I had been to Florida Supercon in the past and I go to San Diego Comic-Con every year. And talking about the wrestling, it, it's really interesting because that's, and that's a big part of the documentary. They had started their own wrestling league fantasy super cosplay wrestling where they would bring in professional wrestlers <laughs> dress them in cosplay and you would get spider-man fighting skeletor you know in a full match like oh, doing all right. the actual moves and everything and that that really blew up for them but i always thought it was funny because for the longest time the only place you could watch wrestling is the sci-fi channel right you know, they had the outlet for it and so it 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 does appeal to the same fandoms um i'm guessing because they made a lot of money off of that at sci-fi channel but <laughs> That was that I wasn't expecting to be as big as it was. That was a massive thing. Yeah. Um, the thing about, you know, talking about diluting, I don't think it necessarily dilutes the fandom. It expands it. So the convention's so big that it's like there's there's a hundred booths selling comics, and then there's another hundred booths selling anime, and they just they just have a little bit of everything for everyone. Right. It's more so the idea, you know, they some of their guests are actors that are in their 70s and 80s that appeal to the parents of the kids that are coming to meet the cast of Dragon Ball. So <laughs> it, it, it kind of has, the idea is to have a little bit of something for everyone. And I think the biggest thing that I wasn't prepared for was realizing how important these conventions are and how the focus on inclusion because that the whole angle of having something for everyone everyone is welcome you know everyone right. that has any kind of weird you know fandom that they like or hobby it's like there's definitely something for you there from the littlest kid to the to the grandparents and it's really amazing to see people come together under one roof yeah. and meet new friends and explore new new things and find new stuff that they didn't know about. And it, that's that's it's, important. Yeah, it's funny you sh you make that observation because in the last couple of years especially, but the last, say, three or four or five years, in the comics industry, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of talk back and forth, chatter, especially over on social media, about inclusion, diversity, representation, and all of these things. And, and there seems to be... 
there's more than there there are more than two schools of thought but the general two schools of thought that have risen kind of above the surface of all the rest of the noise is uh comics have always been political versus keep your politics out of out of comics and that angle is more i want a story that entertains me that doesn't preach at me i and and right. the, what you're saying as far as fandom and this is something that that I've experienced myself for you know having been a fan for a number of years. I don't recall any time where anybody was excluded or blocked from liking a thing. It's almost like it becomes this point of pride now. We're not going to let you into our club because you don't you don't think the right way, you don't look the right way, you don't vote the right way. Mm-hmm. Are are we just based on your observations from being in a number of different events over the years? Are we at a cusp where maybe we can get away from some of that and get back to this thing is a thing for everybody? And if you like it, okay. If you don't like it, okay. How do we yeah. get back to that point? And I, I think it's definitely a generational problem. I think that there are now that that geek culture is becoming so much more common in modern day. I mean, when I was in high school, you know, you would get made fun of for wearing a Spider-Man t-shirt. Like that wasn't a cool thing to do. Yeah. That wasn't cool back then. Whereas nowadays it's like everyone was, I mean, the biggest movie in the world is the Avengers. So it's like, it's now commonplace. And I think there are some people that hold on to the past where it wasn't, it's almost like you're not special anymore that everyone is involved with fandom. But I think that's I think that's ridiculous because who am I to be the police of someone else's happiness? You know, it's like you can like whatever you like. I don't care. It doesn't affect me at all if you are into anime. Like that doesn't matter to me or what comics you collect. And, yeah. But there are definitely people I, I feel like and you're correct that are like gatekeepers or like, well, I've I've been a fan of Spider Man since nineteen sixty two and so well, it also not allowed to like Spider Man. It also feels like some of the newer fans, uh the you know, like you say, this has now become the big mainstream, everybody likes this thing, as opposed to just a limited group of people we're off in the corner at our own table in the cafeteria. Now you've got all of these people that are new fans who are also gatekeeping and this is ours this is our thing and you're not allowed to like the thing so do you how do how do you think we get those two groups past the point where we're excluding people is it right is it the material is it the stories that are being told that's causing this divide or is it the personalities like you said the generational thing because i a lot of this stuff happened after Tumblr banned the porn and they went all to Twitter and, and Twitter has just gotten to be this massive cesspool of emotional incontinence. And it's just right. one of those things where it's like, okay, when, when can we sit there and say enough is enough? Let's just agree to disagree. Everybody go to separate corners right. and just leave it alone for a while. How, how do we, how do we get past this? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, the internet has definitely made it to where everyone has some kind of platform to to spout whatever they want with with either minimal to no consequence. Yeah, and and then but then everyone also it, it makes them to where they want to be special. I mean, you see so many young people now that are vying to be influencers or like, oh, the internet showed me this. But 
back in the day it was like oh this magazine cover made me insecure now it's like oh this website or this you know this other person that's my same age making all this money like this making me insecure yeah um i mean i think it's it all, it all goes back to the the daisy and the gun you know it's like you're trying to get two sides to see the same picture and some people it's going to work for and some people it's not and you just kind of hope that with time that that'll phase out to where it's like you know you're allowed to be people are allowed to be happy you're allowed to like what you like it doesn't matter i mean people like things i don't like but it doesn't affect me at all yeah uh, so it, it you just hope with education and with experience that over time those people will slowly phase out or slowly realize that they're that they're wrong so given all of that given the 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 rather charged environment that we live in these days what kind of response have you gotten with this surviving supercon documentary what what's been the general reaction so far it's been positive and we've definitely gotten a positive reaction especially people that people that like comic cons are like oh yeah i I could totally see that or oh i see that happening and then other people that have never been to comic cons where they're like oh my gosh i had no idea that this is what's going on or like you have these kind of problems i mean i really expected to go in and being like oh our major problem is william shatner got mayonnaise on his sandwich instead of mustard like (laughs) which william shatner is fantastic he's amazing we didn't have any problems with him at all as opposed to being like oh um, someone smoking in the bathroom, which set off the fire alarms, which turned on gigantic vortex fans that started knocking over all of the booths in the convention hall. Oh my! Like, oh, I couldn't apply. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> uh, people getting hit by cars or getting getting injured, and people getting arrested. I mean, there's just so much that happened. It's 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 interesting to see this the constant chaos. And yet everyone that's at the show has no idea any of those things are going on. And they're out there getting their autographs and buying Pokemon cards or, or being in dance contests and things. It's, 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 it's a cool angle. And so hopefully people appreciate that. I know that just having from the conversations I've had with organizers at planet, just how much goes into all of the planning and the logistics and the dialogues, you know, the discussions and conversations and whatnot, the negotiations of contracts and all these different things. And it's, it's one of those things where uh, you, you get to a point where you, you know how the sausage is made a little too well. And now it affects how you see the thing what gets made so in this particular case you know comic cons Mm -hmm. has has this project affected how you enjoy a comic con when you go to one i mean i don't know how many you were able to get to after shooting this one you're putting this one together and then we get hit with lockdown but just just do you anticipate maybe going into an event like San Diego or going back to Florida Supercon with a completely different perspective? That's an interesting question. And I have been to a couple of comic cons since, but to be honest, no, like I'm definitely, I like to focus on escapism. That's my uh, entertainment of choice. So when I go to the convention, like I'm there to enjoy myself. I'm not worried about what type of security measures they have or, or looking around to see what volunteers doing what I'm, I'm sure there's some subconscious things happening but it hasn't really other than it made me appreciate conventions so much more 
like seeing the importance and, and, and everything that mm -hmm. that's the biggest change. And so I appreciate it a lot more. And I might say, you know, thanks so much, you know, and, and, and tell some volunteers, hey, you're doing a great job or things like that. That's changed my perspective. But I mean, just like everyone else, I want to go to a convention to have a good time. I want to go and, you know, try to find that comic book that I've been looking for or meet up with friends or meet a celebrity like that's I want to go there to enjoy myself. So, yeah. no, I'm not as I'm not as worried about it, I think, because I'm just more so there to have fun. So uh, when Disney, when Warner Brothers, when the studios basically said we're going to do day and date on releases. Uh, we're going to be in the theaters and we're going to be digital at the same time, streaming and whatnot. Christopher Nolan comes out. He says, this is a terrible idea. He says, you've got to be in the theater. And there was a lot of discussion at that point about the shared experience of going to the movies. Sure. And I think you could make the argument the same the same way for uh, for Comic-Cons, for conventions like this. Because like you say, it's it's one of those things where fandom by and large, in general, can include everybody, uh, mm -hmm. assuming that everybody behaves themselves. And it, it feels like, especially the last couple of years, we've lost the ability to connect with each other because we haven't been able to do all of these things and because we haven't been able sure. to go to these events. But at the same time now, you've got a lot of events that have pivoted to online streaming at least part of their show or doing some sort of a virtual event in tandem with the show going forward from here, what kind of changes do you anticipate just based on conversations you've had with people who actually run one? Sure. What, what changes do you think we should anticipate for comic cons coming out of the pandemic? We've got, you know, masks and vax policies and all of that, but, we can do things online now and it only it right. feels like there's this paradigm shift that's happening where a lot of these events are sitting there thinking, okay, we're going to do the thing in, in, in person, but we're also going to do this thing online. Do, right. you, do you see that becoming the new, the new model possibly? I think, I think it'll be a hybrid. Um, an example, like, so the owners of SuperCon ended up opening a new chain of conventions called GalaxyCon. And they've ended up doing a lot of things online over the past year, which has been extremely successful. All the different online meet and greets and direct video chats and things with celebrities. The neat thing about that is it lets you get much larger guests that are still virtual, but they're live that you may not have ever gotten to get to go to a Comic-Con. Like a friend of ours just got, who he manages uh, different convention talent. He just got Robert Downey Jr. to do his first autograph signing. Oh, wow. That never could have happened before. But since it's virtual, Robert Downey can do it from his house. You can order his autograph. You can you know, do a Q&A. And so things like that are more possible, which I think is exciting. Whereas before, it would be a, a lesser celebrity that you'd be able to go and meet in person. So I think there is some benefit to the virtual elements of it. Um, but I also think that it's not like conventions are going to be going away. Um, right. My sister is a travel agency called travel bliss and she was telling me how the year after the pandemic this this past year you're having all of this revenge travel because people <laughs> have been trapped at home not yep. being able to go anywhere or do anything and now they're like oh that's it we're going to go crazy because we've been going nuts in the house so that even the conventions that i went to they sold out instantly 
because people are so desperate to get back to that normalcy. And, and even, I think that everyone goes to a convention for specific reasons. If you're only going for the autographs and that type of thing, then the virtual element's great because you don't have to leave your house. You can still get all the autographs you want. But other people like to go for, you know, to meet physically celebrities in person or collect toys or get exclusives and, or meet up with friends. So I think that element of it won't change. Right. Um, and I think the world is as desperate to get back to normal as it can. I mean, nobody wants to keep going through all of this forever. We <laughs> want to get back to not having masks and not having to worry about getting yeah. sick. And so I, I think there will be hybrids for sure, but I think it's going to be pretty quick to go back how it was and like you were talking about with the box office that was a really big experiment that Warner Brothers did with the same day and date and it's interesting to see what ended up going on during that because Free Guy that came out in August was the first movie that was theatrical only other than you talked about Tenant you know and Tenant did terrible because it was dropped only in theaters in the middle of the pandemic that nobody was going to, you know, nobody went out to it. Right. Plus you had all of the theaters that were still closed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you really didn't have as much option, but free guy came out, did really well. Shang-Chi came out and did awesome. And then Venom two came out and made more money in theaters than Venom one. So it's like box office is now back to pre pandemic numbers. So I feel like for some titles, the studios will, will do the same thing, but even Warner brothers, none of their titles after the matrix are going to be, day and date again right they're going to have theatrical only so i think for certain titles the studios might choose to focus on their streaming services and other ones they won't you mentioned travel um one of the things that i'm wondering is how many people when they're traveling to these events how many of them are going to be willing to get on a plane versus getting out on the road because that could have an effect as well because you know we've sure. we've recently uh, and I'll um, this is my this is my opportunity to segue into a plug but if you go over to sci-fi4me.com you'll see across the top there's a banner ad for Stuckies because the brand is coming back and and those of us who are of an age you you remember Stuckies, you know, getting on the road, you're out on the highway, and they're all over the place. And uh, if you use the the code Stucky10, you'll get 10% off. So there's there's my plug for that. But I think besides uh, getting to the cons, you, like your friend says, you know, revenge travel. A lot of that's going to be driving. There's a lot of a lot of people that are going to get on the road. They're going to go to these various events, and depending on how things go with with you know quarantine and lockdown and vax policies and all these things, at at that point, we're going to start seeing people interacting on the road that they haven't done in a while. There's going to be a lot of a lot of reconnecting, a lot of people that are getting back and dealing with people in person. Any any thoughts on how to approach people now? Because our people skills are probably you know, a little rusty at this point. Mm-hmm. But if you go into a convention and there's there are people there, like you said, you know, Florida doesn't have any rules really at this point. Other states, mm-hmm. various different things are in place. So do you have suggestions, having been to various Comic-Cons and having talked to organizers... Any suggestions on how to interact with people? What what what's your takeaway 
and I know it's, I'm painting with a broad brush there, but what's your no, takeaway sure. with how to get back to normal when you're going to a Comic-Con? Right. I think it's going to affect everyone differently. You know, you're going to have some people that are not as outgoing that would have issues anyway. One of the cool things that they do at Supercon is they have networking events where it's like if you're into this certain type of fandom, they'll have a breakout room where it's like come and meet new friends. And you oh, can okay. go and actually interact with other people knowing that they like the exact same thing that you do. And so you have tons to talk about. And that's been really, really successful. Um, I have an 11 year old son and he had been at home for the past two years. And he just went to a birthday party for the first time, was like around other kids. And it was a it was a bit of a learning curve because it was like, oh, I haven't been around kids in so long no. that how do I interact? And, you know, it, it took a a few minutes until eventually they they get back into it and i think i think people are going to get get back to normal pretty quickly i think they want that interaction and they're they're getting desperate for that interaction not being able to have it for so long so i think that it'll just take some time it'll be easier for some than others but i think it'll get back to normal pretty quickly well here's hoping right yeah for All sure right. The uh, the documentary Surviving Supercon is from Abysmal Entertainment and it is out digitally and is available for Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, Abysmal is on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. You can find them all over there and, and uh, Stephen has some socials himself. But uh, this is where you're going to find all of the information on the movie. Uh, now, are you are, are there any plans to screen it in theaters at any point past uh, film festival circuit? No, we, we've kind of done that over the past year. Um, okay. So now that it's out, it's it's pretty much it's since it's available everywhere. We're probably not going to have any more theatrical screenings. And there's there's still limitations, like even on the premiere we just had here this past week. It was, you know, you could only have 80 percent capacity and. You know, still, you know, masks and, and yeah. cards and everything, which is fine. But it's, uh, yeah, it's just kind of not not really there at this point. So now that you can watch in your homes. And I mean, home theaters are getting so good nowadays. A lot of people are preferring to watch stuff at home anyways. Right. Um, all right. Well, good luck with it, Stephen Shea. Thanks thank very you. much for Thanks being so much. here today. And of uh, those of you who were here with us live, thank you for being here as well. If you're here on replay, you can still leave a comment or send us feedback live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com is the email address. We have a packed week this week, so be watching our socials for announcements on other things coming through uh, through the week. We've got the H2O podcast tonight. We've got more live from the bunker the rest of the week. So if you are new here, you've just found us, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on, and uh, feel free to move about the channel and check out our other videos. And uh, we will do this all again tomorrow live from the bunker thanks very much for being here everyone remember if you're catching a lot of flack it means you're probably over the target and there are four lights this has been a presentation of sci-fi for me radio copyright 2021 by flaming dog media llc all rights reserved no portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of flaming dog media